today on Wine Access Unfiltered. Rookie dinners, that's the best. That's the best one. Yes. Uh, you just find the most expensive anything. It doesn't matter what it is, right? <laughs> so you're buying. Wait, wait, back up. So you're you're at a rookie dinner and you're like, you're the one that has to pay for the meal as a rookie? Or... Yeah, as a rookie, yeah. Okay. So your rookie year, you have to pay for a meal. So, oh. um, you know, I made sure I got a bottle of like Louis the 13th and Whoa. some probably crazy wine. Oh, yeah. Whoa. That, I think that tab <laughs> came up close to like 35000 Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Amanda McCrossin, and I am here with the wonderful blue-dressed Vanessa Conlon. I'm loving you in blue today. Well, you're looking very tropical yourself today, Amanda. So I'm excited to talk with Maurice Jones-Drew, also known as MJD. I was told that is the appropriate way to refer to him by my brother-in-law, who, when I asked about if he had ever heard of Maurice Jones-Drew, he was like, oh yeah, MGD, of course. And I just want to ask him too, like, how do I get to be a person that is just known by initials? <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, we we heard that he loves a few different things, namely cake bread. Chardonnay was one of, uh, it was sort of an epiphany wine for him, something that he really enjoyed. Really loves richer whites. So I seized the day when I heard the deal of cake bread Chardonnay. I was like, this is our time to drink white burgundy. I don't know if you felt the same way. I did. And it's funny, I you know, I hadn't really thought of it, but you're so right. But not only do we get to drink white wine, but we get to drink sparkling wine today. Yeah. Traditional method sparkling. Yeah. So super excited all around. Yeah. So one of the reasons we have opted to do a sparkling wine was that he is not someone that is really, really keen on sparkling wine. I think he wants to be more interested in it and like it more, but he has talked about how he doesn't like things like sparkling wines that are too, too dry. So opting for something that has a little bit more ripeness that maybe uh, is produced in California that won't give the impression, you know, maybe completely dry from this, from the standpoint of sugar, um, or at least, you know, at a level that isn't, doesn't feel sweet, but has a sort of ripeness factor to it that, that won't give it that pucker that I think he's maybe talking about. I think you're spot on. I think the combination of, of, a, a really fantastic high quality producer, which you, which you selected um, uh, for us to drink together today. But yeah, to have this kind of the ripeness that you get from the North coast of California, but still made in the traditional method. I, I, I have a feeling he'll like it. We'll find out, but I've already popped my bottle and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you opened a bottle of sparkling wine early. That's so unlike you, Vanessa. <laughs> I mean, quality control. <laughs> I'm so sorry. VBC. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's not working. We'll just go back to Vanessa. It's fine. (laughs) All right. We've decided that Vanessa's name is Vanessa and we're going to drink with a guy who we know as MJD. We're very excited. And without any further ado, let's drink. Maurice Jones Drew, also known as MJD. Did I get that right? You did. I feel like you have a a great name that uh, I was panicked I I would not get right. It's okay. I, I I rarely called Maurice only if I'm in trouble. So, oh, uh, really? Like, yeah, like it's like MJD or Reese or Mo. What's your favorite? I don't have one. <laughs> Just don't call me broke. I guess is the only thing I would ask. How often are you in trouble? <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't heard Maurice in a while, so I, I, I've been doing pretty good. I try to uh, that's good. You know, keep on my toes. I was always my my first and my middle name when I was in trouble with oh, my yes. parents. Mine yeah. was too. What is your middle name, Vanessa? So it's Bird with a Y. Oh wow! Like late. Oh, I like it. Yeah. So Vanessa Bird. That was that was like oh. I think that's every parent's way. Yeah. Like because I was Maurice Christopher. When I heard Maurice Christopher, I was like, oh, <laughs> something happened. <laughs> Did she find out? Well, we will definitely travel back to a time when you were uh, a little younger and maybe called Maurice Christopher a few times, but. In your adult days, now that you are affectionately known as MJD and now that we are drinking wine, I'd love to talk about the two wines you have in front of you right now because I, I've heard that you have a few preferences in the wine department. So we tried we tried to select some wines that you might enjoy that you might not have already had. So I, I guess, should we start with the sparkling or should we start with the white wine? What do you think, Vanessa? I mean, we could go either. I think just in terms of... Um, because there is some oak on the on the Merceau, I think maybe starting with the the Schramsberg, just from a yeah. palate. And it's always yeah. always a little like yeah. festive to start with some bubbles. Exactly. So you'll notice that neither of us have champagne glasses and neither do you. So you're in good company. <laughs> um, but what's, what is your relationship with sparkling wine? Because my understanding is that you don't have much of one. Well, I, a little bit, I would say. Um, like I would do like the Rosé Moet, 
But that's like when you're out clubbing, partying, celebrating. Um, if I was just sitting down, I wouldn't do that necessarily. Cause I feel like that's more of a celebration type of drink, um, you know, with friends, with people. So I, I kind of have stayed away from that. When I first started doing wine, I really was like a big red wine drinker. I was a, you know, Camus, um, other Merlots. Like it was just, it was just some different things that I was into. Uh, but that was because I was playing. I was eating like red meat and things like that. Now that I'm not playing anymore, I don't need the girth. I've been more of a fish vegetable person. I think it just goes the the white wine just goes better with that. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think sparkling wine is one of those things that everyone associates with being a celebratory wine. But for me and Vanessa, and I think a lot of people who are in the business, sparkling wine is is our favorite for so many reasons. One of which being it's one of the most versatile and parable wines on the planet. Um, so we we had heard that you're not so so into this the dry sparklings. So this is a this is Schomsburg Blanc de Blanc. This is actually from California. Um, this is the 2016, and it's made in the exact same way as Champagne with the Champagne grapes in the Champagne or traditional method. Um, but it's all California, so there is like a little bit of a ripeness to it. Uh, although I'm sure Schomsburg would not appreciate me saying so. <laughs> They love to they love to be a little bit more on the restrained side. Yeah, but still, you know, we're here with this California sunshine. I mean, you can't you can't help but get a little yeah. bit of ripeness to the fruit. I know. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it tastes really well, actually. And um I've been um what part of California is this? North Coast. So this is the North Coast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they source from several different vineyards all uh on the north coast of California. There's a few like in Carneros and Sonoma. Uh, I think there's some up in Mendocino. So they they kind of source them all over. It's it's hard to make sparkling wine in mm-hmm. California. I mean, when you think about what it takes to make uh, champagne and champagne, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. it's really, really super, super cold. Um, and we love that because it gives the the grapes uh, great acidity, which you want for a sparkling wine. Um, so California being the the warm place that it is, it's amazing that they've been able to do what they're able to do. And Schomsburg is an iconic, iconic wine in California and, and really considered one of the best when it comes to sparkling. So um, as I said before, neither of us are drinking this out of a champagne flute. And that is because... Uh, you know, under every every great glass of champagne is a great still wine. And so we love to enjoy that in a white wine glass that kind of allows more of those aromatics to pop through. So I'm, you're drinking it out of a, a regular white wine glass. What do you think of it? Oh, I love it. It's, it's um, It was different. It's like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fruitier than what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But it's not as like, you don't have that bite like uh, like champagne would give you after, you know, you just don't have that... After you drink it. So it's, um, I like it a lot, actually. And I was, yes, you know, before I, you all had sent a lot of wine and I had been partaking in some with uh, some of my colleagues here and friends. And I'm happy that I didn't pop these two. <laughs> what did you dive into? I'm curious because we sent you some good ones. Uh, yeah, I, to be honest with you, I, they came over one day and we just started drinking and we were talking, having great conversation. And the next thing I know, I was like, we were like four or five bottles in. And I was like, <laughs> who's opening all these? Like, who's doing this? But um, <laughs> it was, you know, I think that's what wine does um, in great company. It just it just enhances the experience, right? And, and that's what we're always looking for when we go out or when we go to dinner or when we go places is that experience to be enhanced and to be, you know, something that's memorable. And I think that that's what that, the couple of nights ago was Friday night, actually. We went out to the beach, had a couple uh glasses there, came back, cooked dinner and just kind of enjoyed conversation for, you know, seven hours. Yeah. Who would have thought? It's an an amazing, I mean, wine is one of those things that I think the last few months have certainly proven it to a different degree that it brings people together in a way that not many other things can. So it's, I've, I think this podcast for me has been such an amazing to see like literally what it can do. And it's bringing people from totally different sectors together over a bottle of wine, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, like the first time I ever had wine, I was, um, I was probably like my second year in the NFL and I, I was just at a restaurant and then one of the coaches was like, Hey, listen, try this. And I was like, man, I, I drink alcohol. Like I'm not into that. He was like, well, let's do wine tonight. And it wasn't as intense as alcohol, but at the end of the night, like you still felt good. You felt like I got something accomplished. It wasn't like, I wasn't crazy, but I felt more like an adult. I felt like an adult. And so from that point on, and then being in Jacksonville, it's, it's a, it's a great 
They have a ton of great restaurants, wines, I mean, from all over. Um, and so I really dove into it for like five or six years, just different wines with different foods, just trying different things. Um, I actually did a, a tour in Napa Valley at one point, and it just really became part of me at, at one point. Um, but then I had to get back into football shape and I couldn't really dive <laughs> too much into wine anymore as I got older. But uh, it, it's definitely something, like you said, where, you know, it just it brings people together from all different walks of life. I think that's, you know, something that I've always wanted to be able to do is talk to people that didn't come from where I came from or looked the way I look. Yeah. As a football player, when you would get together with some of your teammates, what were some of the things that you guys were drinking? Do you remember? Uh, well, so rookie dinners, that's the best. That's the best one. Yes. Uh, you just find the most expensive anything. It doesn't matter what it is, right? <laughs> so you're buying. Wait, wait, back up. So you're you're at a rookie dinner and you're like, you're the one that has to pay for the meal as a rookie? Or? Yeah, as a rookie. Yeah. Okay. So your rookie year, you have to pay for a meal. So oh. um, I want to say it was 2009. We had two offensive linemen, pretty high picks. And uh, it was nice. So they invited, you know, a lot of us out to the rookie dinner that that night. And, you know, I made sure I got a bottle of like Louis the 13th and Whoa. some probably crazy wine. Oh, yeah. Whoa. That, I think that tab <laughs> came up close to like 35,000. What? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those those bills. I mean, I've heard stories of bills being like 60,000. But it just depends on what city you're in. Like if you're in New York City and you go on a rookie dinner, that tab can go anywhere, L.A. or wherever it may be. So for me, it was it was kind of like, wow, like, OK, let's just order. My rookie dinner wasn't that bad. I, I remember exactly what I had to order. Uh, our running back coach had a, a big thing for Camus. That's kind of why I got into Camus. Uh, so I had to order like four bottles of that and then pay for everyone's dinner, which wasn't too bad. And a couple of drinks here and there. It, it wasn't as bad because I was by myself. But if you get some guys, I mean, I think that's what I miss most about the NFL is those rookie dinners, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because you get to eat great and everything. That's so interesting. I worked at a steakhouse in Napa as a sommelier for many years. And we would see some of these rookie dinners or like player dinners come in. And I remember there was one in particular and it was a really interesting night because we actually, it was, it was training camp and we had two teams in at the restaurant at the same time. They happened to be uh, playing down in, in Napa because they played the high school. Mm -hmm. And so we had um, like the Rams inside and the Raiders outside and the Raiders, they were doing what you're talking about. They were like, all the rookies were together and they were like, you guys order this, you guys order this. And like all the rookies got the check at the end of the night. And I was like, that is wild. Like, is this normal? So this, I mean, you're, I mean, this is a really interesting thing that I didn't really know about that. Like the rookies actually have to buy these dinners for their rookie year. I don't want to call it hazing, but it's kind of like you're earning your stripes, right? As a rookie, you got to carry pads and helmets. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you do different things throughout the season. I remember uh, my rookie year, I had, there was a guy on our team who had got a DUI and he was actually my neighbor at that point. And so I had to like, my rookie uh, initiation was driving him to and from practice. If he wanted to go out, I, I was like his personal chauffeur pretty much, oh, that's nice. which, which wasn't bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like I said, I had it easy compared to a lot of other guys who, you know, it, it it can get intense in, in some of these teams with some of these different guys. So, it, like, but, you know, again, at the end of the day, like you said, I, I when I played for the Raiders, I remember going out one night during training camp and going to a restaurant and sitting down, having a nice meal, nice wine with some, you know, friends that drove up and, you know, kind of that was it. Yeah. I think it was the, the offensive coach, the offensive coordinator is like really into wine for the Raiders. I don't know if he was there when you were, but he was, he's. Oh, yeah. Greg Olson. Greg Olson. Yeah. That's my guy. Yeah. He's really into wine. He would drink some really cool stuff at press. He drank like, he'd always come in looking for like 60s and 70s martinis, like old Diamond Creeks. And he had a really good palate. He was, he was a blast. And he was actually someone that, that helped to uh, set the tone and set the stage for the players. You know, he would or let them order what they wanted, but he also would kind of fill in with some cooler wines that not everybody, you know, would have normally ordered, which is fun for, I think, all of us. Right. Yeah. I, uh, that's so interesting. I always wondered like what the, what the situation was there. So thank you for, for filling me in. Oh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm learning about this for the first time. I didn't know this was a thing. So fascinating. Oh. Yeah. I, I think every sport has it though. Like I don't know about hockey or baseball or basketball, but I'm assuming they have that as well. But I know football, man, they, they, uh, make sure those rookies pay their dues. <laughs> so I have a question then. Is there, a, is there a particular team or a particular player that is just really known for like knowing their stuff about wine? Um, 
Okay, I'll say as of late, a guy that I played with, he's retired now, is Will Blackman. And he kind of... Oh, yeah. He's got like a label, right? Yeah, he has like a label. Sure. Charles Woodson is another guy who has a, a, a wine, right? Um, I think each team probably has nine or ten guys that may know, you know... as And, and it's funny because I say as they get older, but older to them is like 28, 27, 29. It's like, oh, yeah, as I get older, I, I, I want to dabble in wine more, like... You're still young compared to, you know, the real world. So it's just different. Like, those are the guys that I played with that I know were really into wine. And, um, you know, I know Charles was, like, super into it. I had never seen anyone like that. Like, he would go and have his wine after practice to kind of wind down sometimes. And it, it was it was interesting to, like, really sit down and speak with him. Have you had his wine? I haven't. I have to I actually have to call him and have some sense since we're, we're doing this. <laughs> Charles, if you're listening, please send me some wine. All of us. Me too. Absolutely. While you're at it. You played in the NFL for how many years? Nine years. Nine years. And how has your life changed since leaving the NFL and you're a sports analyst now? It changes a lot. You, you learn right away that you have 24 hours in a day. Um, <laughs> so it was like a new concept to me because my whole life I've been playing sports. So I really didn't understand that. That was kind of a transition of figuring out, okay, if I wake up at 5 a.m. every day, which I normally did for football, um, I don't have to go to practice. I don't have to work out. I don't have to do these certain things. I just started to realize, like, man, I have so much more time to do so many different things. That that, that was a tough transition. Once I started working, though, and getting into the uh, the analysts and the broadcast and those type of things, um, I really think that kind of balanced me just because since I've been – Six, seven years old, I've always played sports every every year, right? So football, soccer, track, basketball, baseball, I was always doing something, uh, at least until I turned 29. So 23 years of doing that, and then all of a sudden it's cold turkey. You get a little, you get a little hectic. Um, but I actually really got into traveling as of late. Uh, first time ever really going out of the country that wasn't for football uh, was in October. I went to Europe, decided to go on like a, a solo trip to South America, which was pretty crazy. Had a great time with that, though. And, and along the way, I ran into some friends that were out there or similar places. That's the beauty, beauty of social media. Like you, you say, like, I'm in Medellin or Medellin, Colombia. Someone's like, oh, me too. Like, what? Really? Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've just been trying to, like, see different things that I, I, haven't, I wasn't able to see or I did want to see when I played football because I was so focused on just being the best football player I can be mm-hmm. that I kind of... I feel like I, my 20s, I sacrificed for football. And now I get an opportunity in my 30s to kind of, I saw the Eiffel Tower for, then I saw um, Christ Redeemer in Rio, the Guazu Falls, which is, I want to say, the second largest waterfall in the world. And then uh, I did Machu Picchu. I hiked Machu Picchu, which was pretty crazy as well. So, Oh, cool. You're braver than I am. The only, I went to all the way down to Lima. Did not go to Cusco to hike Machu Picchu. I just went to eat. So. You got to do it. I mean, I, it's so I'm glad we're talking about this because I can really. So I, I was interested in like kind of some of the drinks there. And I had tried. Uh-huh. I don't know what the wine was. It was a red, but it, it wasn't bad. Um, what was tough, though, was you're so high up and it's so hard to get there. It's a what two and a half hour flight from Lima to Cusco. Yeah. Then a two hour drive to the Sacred Valley where you get on a train for two hours. And then you hike this mountain, right? It was very tough to get to. Yes, but I've heard. when you get there, it's the prettiest thing you'll you'll ever see. Like the pictures that I have from there, um, just being able to that place was around for whoever knows how long. But it was awesome to do that and see that, and I, I couldn't believe like I was walking where like you know the ancient Incas were and learning their history, and you know these people were not the biggest. But they were like moving boulders that were like a hundred times their size up this mountain. It was crazy. Right. So right. It, it was just it was just really interesting it was, to me. It was just dope to see that and to be a part of it. So what's what's the altitude like there? Mm. Well, miserable. This is I've this is why I can't do it because I miserable. The altitude is just too much. I can't. Oh, so there's a medicine that you have to take called like Dimox that helps you adjust to the altitude. Uh, the first night I didn't take it. I tried to tough it out. Yeah. And I altitude sickness is, is it's uh it's similar to seasickness. Like you just feel real nauseous, your stomach is turning. It's a little like being hungover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and an intense <laughs> version of being hungover. But it doesn't go away though. It doesn't yeah. you can't like drink a recovery drink to go away or anything. So the first night I did that, then after that I started taking the medicine and then I was good to go. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, because even just um, being in Aspen, I mean, Amanda, have you gone to Aspen Food Wine? No, thanks for reminding me, Vanessa. I was supposed to go this year. <laughs> just Sorry. <kidding. laughs> I just remembered that right after I said no, it. No, it's um, but I, I have, but I, I, I was an avid skier. Uh, so I am very used. I mean, as yeah. much as I hate altitude, uh, the altitude sickness, it's also like something I'm very used to. And it, I just try to avoid it when I can. But people warned me uh, about it in Aspen. And definitely, um, I felt like I had a sledgehammer on the side of my head solidly the whole time I was there. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. But then, and then after they told me about this medicine you can take, I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Right. Yeah. So you're a skier, Amanda. I'm a snowboarder. So we're oh, like rivals. We are rivals. Uh, yes, yeah. I was, I grew up in the East Coast. Uh, we went up to uh, the like Maine and Vermont my whole life. And then I skied out in Colorado and then in like Park City, which is a, a ski only area in Park City. <laughs> there are so, some places like yeah. that. Yes. That was a wild experience because I, I was pretty much used, my sister is a boarder. So I was pretty used to um, just growing up with like, you know, boarders and skiers just kind of commingling. It was like never a big deal. And then I went to Park City for the first time and skied there. And it was, I don't know, in some ways it like wasn't as fun because the borders are so much fun than the skiers. Yeah. And you guys kind of like cut up the trails a little bit differently. So I, I don't know. It was nice, but it was also like, it's kind of like growing up. Like I imagine, sorry, Vanessa, I know you're an only child, but to me it would be like growing up as an only child with like, you know, I never did anything wrong. And there would be, there would just be no, like uh, no fun in my life without my sister, who was always a bit of a troublemaker. (laughs) Yeah, I actually took my kids snowboarding, um, my two boys snowboarding in Lake Tahoe. Mm. It was it was so much fun. I still haven't skied Tahoe. I live so really? close. I still haven't done it. No. You could go up there right now and go ski. It's and, and obviously they have great wine up there as well. Yeah, so. I love Tahoe. That moving out to California, that was one of the first places I went to go visit and I didn't have any of my skis out here, I drove a Mini Cooper. So I was like, oh. you know, kind of like I couldn't really drive up to to Tahoe in the middle of the snow season. Um, but I finally got an SUV. And so that's my my big plan this year is to get up. And I finally don't work in a restaurant. That was the other thing. Like, you know, my days were, you know, were my days and my nights. I mean, you were kind of strapped down by a schedule as well. So you kind of know how it goes. Um, but when you were in, in, uh, Peru, did you go into the city like Miraflores and like Lima or anything, or did you mostly just, just hike? Yes. So I was in Lima for one night. So kind of how the trip, when I started off in, uh, Costa Rica, hung out there, did some, you know, swam in like volcanic rivers and zip lining and all the stuff you do there. And then went to Medellin, Colombia. And then from there, I went to Lima for one night. Um, so that night went out, kind of just walked around Lima, drove around, saw, um, it's, 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 it's different. It's nice. It's a beautiful the, city. And it's, so I only saw it at night. I didn't get to see it during the it's daytime. The, honestly, that's the best time to see it. And what struck me the most is, so it's on the coast and that city is real. is a late, late city. And so you'll, they have these huge parks that just, just completely line the coast and it's massive bluffs that, you know, are a hundred feet down and, as you walk, so this, so this is a funny story. Uh, as you walk the entire um, line, you can basically walk like the entire city along the coast. So we had, there's a couple of really famous restaurants in Lima. And uh, one of which is called Central. And Central is this like 15 course tasting menu. And it it goes to the, all the elevations of, of Peru. So everything from sea level all the way up to like over 2000 feet elevation. So we had done this massive tasting menu at the end of the, the lunch. It was a lunch tasting menu the server, whoever said, uh, there's this great place you can go get, you can get bowels. So these, um, like age, like steamed Asian buns, I'm like, God, we're so full. But like, if, if we could like maybe walk the entire coast, maybe we could have enough room in our bellies to go and get these like steamed buns. So we walked the entire way around and at every stop, they had these like places, these like workout places. Yes. So we would stop and do like pull-ups on the way yes. just so we could go and eat steamed buns. So I think like <laughs> you have a very accurate picture of who I am as a human being after 15 minutes of talking to me. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you, I actually did pull-ups on that, uh, with the water there, which is pretty dope. It was, it was cool. Like, yeah. Um, I, like I said, I, I would like to probably go back to Lima. It it would be hard for me to go back to Machu Picchu unless like my children wanted to go back because uh, it's just such a tough trip, right? Yeah. But um, Lima was, you know, only being there for like 12 hours was pretty awesome. So are you someone that enjoys uh, like a wine and food pairing experience? I mean, in, in your times going out when you were maybe making the rookies buy the dinners, was that something that you got <laughs> into? <laughs> 
Well, yeah, yeah. Before before the rookies started buying dinners, I I did uh, a little bit of food pairing. Um, I, I would actually do it a lot, um, and it was nice. It wasn't, um, I, you know, we would do certain wines with certain meats, or, or red wines with meats, or with fish. Um, there was actually a restaurant. I forget the name of it. It's not there anymore now. But he had this hoghead snapper, mm. which literally it's it's a snapper that has the face of a like a like a pig, and they only can spear shoot it. But it was the like tenderest white meat you ever have. And he would make it with like white wine sauce and all these things. And he paired this white wine with it. And I think that's what actually turned me in, like turned me over to white wine Ah. Um, because it was so good. Like I, my stomach, I was just like, okay, listen, who's the chef? I need to talk to him because I I may need to hire this guy to come live with (laughs) me for a while. But um, that's kind of like, we would always do like probably... Once a month, you know, we'd pick a Tuesday or a Monday night and we'd go out to a restaurant um, and we would have, you know, white wine uh, or red wine with certain meat. Just, you know, different restaurants, it's different things there. Um, There's actually a restaurant that actually the first time I did, and I'll never forget this, was 11 South. Really had me like just kind of like what my palate's supposed to feel like, it's supposed to taste like, right? Um, and it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I think now I'm less about pairing the meat and more just enjoying the wine that I like. I have so much to say about what we just, that was like a mouth. That was such a good, like the way that you, <laughs> that experience that you had with the snapper and the white wine was like, Vanessa and I talk about, you know, our lack of epiphany bottles. And for her, mm-hmm. it was like a, um, it was a, a class and experience. And for me, it was more of this like understanding that food and wine can pair together. And like, it's to your point, it's like an explosion in your mouth. And you're like, it's like someone has just injected color into your life for the first time. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was white wine. Interestingly, when you were talking about that snapper, I was like, Ooh, that snapper would be really delicious with the white wine that is adjacent to your sparkling wine right now. So I don't know if you picked that up, but this is, um, yes. The Metro Merceau. This is a 2017 uh, Le Chevalier. So this is a 100% Chardonnay. And we had heard that you love cake bread Chardonnay. Um, I do. So I don't know if you've had much in the way of white burgundy, but this is, for me, Merceau is probably the closest you can get to uh, California Chardonnay. It's always the, the richest. Um, but this is all Chardonnay coming from a region called Merceau, which is inside Burgundy, hence why it's called white burgundy. Um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. I actually like this a lot. Oh, good. This is, um, like, cake bread is just something that, you know, I was turned on to as well when I was, um, like, partying in Miami. And I would hang out with these older people. Um, I would go to, like, these events, and there would be older gentlemen there. And they'd be like, hey, like, try this wine. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, ah. But after a while, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, what is this? And they were like, oh, this is cake bread. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, like. And then I started getting bottles of it and just started to enjoy it. But I, I, this uh, says Merceau, right? Yeah, Merceau. Merceau, Merceau yes. Um, it doesn't have as much of a bite as the cake bread does. The ke- like, and what I mean by bite, it, it, it sometimes, and, and it could just be me, but I have like a at the end. Mm. It's like a, it's like a, mm. a, tang, a tangy type of feel. This is smooth and it's just kind of like, excuse me, it's, it's just really good. Good. Well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. I feel like we did well, Amanda, <laughs> with these selections, huh? Feeling kind of good right now. And it's not just because I'm drinking more so. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you know, sh- cake bread is great. I wonder what your thoughts on cake bread are today, because I find that um, people who start with, especially with Chardonnay, you know, I've had my fair share of clients who've started loving like Rombauer and Fink Family and cake bread and like, you know, the Chardonnays that are a little bit more oaky and rich and um, sometimes buttery that have really moved away from that style of of Chardonnay and into something that's a little, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel the through lines. There's still oak on this wine. It's still a rich, robust wine, but there is like a little bit of restraint. The fruit isn't quite as ripe as something uh, like that of California. Um, so I'm curious if your, how's your palate changed a little bit or would you still go back to cake bread or are you kind of like, eh, been there, done that? No, I, I still have cake bread. I, uh, I actually have like two bottles in the, I'm okay. So I just actually moved like, I'm, like redoing the whole house. Uh-huh. So I don't have a wine cellar. So I'm w- waiting for that to come in. But um, I have a couple bottles of cake bread, but I've never been one to just stick with one thing. Like I always try mm. to venture out and try and, and see maybe something out there better. 
I just enjoyed cake bread because it's, you know, it's something that I remember, you know, it was like, the, it was like one of the good years of my life in my twenties where I was yep. like, Hey, like I was playing good yeah. football. Life was good. <laughs> like cake bread was part of that. So I always, you know, it helps me kind of relax and get back to the good times. Yeah. And wine has a way of doing that. I mean, I'm sure you have bottles like that, Vanessa, that just kind of the second you see them or, um, or drink them, they kind of just like bring you right back to that moment. Totally. I mean, it's so similar in a way to to music, I, you know, where sometimes, you know, I'll hear a song or an album and all of a sudden I'm like transported back to a time in my life. And it's definitely the same with wine. You know, that's one of the things I think is so fascinating is the impact it has on your senses and how that can live within you for, you know, years, decades. So I have to ask, what what, what song brings you back? Ooh, I have so many. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I was going to say, where do we even start? Because, you know... Um, uh, well, I, I swear just came on right before uh, this podcast started. Oh, no. And I was straight back to like seventh grade, middle school dance. Like, I was like very into like boys to men. And I was very into that. Like, I was very into that. I could... I knew every... And the second that that song came on, I was like, <laughs> and I swear. <laughs> I was into it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Out on the dance floor. Right. Took you right back. Yeah. So what's your song? No, there's so many. There's, you got to pick one. I don't have. You have to pick one. Oh, there's so many. You can just throw the first impossible. one. Oh, I mean, well, I'm a, so I'm a big U2 fan. Okay. So I, rem- I remember, so I went to a, I went to school in Richmond, Virginia and I went to boarding school there. And I remember like sitting in my dorm room and like listening to to Joshua Tree. And so every time I hear anything from that album, I like takes me back to my high school self. And anyway, yeah. But but it's hard to pick one because it's like every stage of my life, I've had, you know, a sort of soundtrack to it. So no question. What's yours? Uh, I mean, it just depends on what side. Like, I feel like I have... Um, I have a couple sides to me. Like I have the wild side, which would be like, Little Wayne, the block is hot. Thanks. That was like, I was like 12, 13, really like <laughs> eighth grade, filling in, hanging out with my boys. <laughs> but then like my sensitive side would say, you know, I think 50, 50 cent, 21 questions. I just remember driving. Um, I just got my license and you know, I was dating and I was picking girls up and that'd be the song I'd play. And, you know, it kind of start off the mood. Yeah, it's just like the mood, like wherever we were going, it just kind of set everything up. So it was, you know, obviously there's other songs as I got older, but um, definitely the 50 cent, 21 questions. I played that the other day and I just sat back and was like, okay. I definitely remember driving in this Daewoo that my mother had that was a stick. Mind you, I had to learn how to drive. So I, I wasn't, um, I, my mom bought me a car, but it was a stick. So I don't know if you guys know how to drive sticks. Not, not anymore. I, I, I tried to learn once. Um, my, this is when I was in college my boyfriend at the time tried to teach me and that was like the most scarring experience and I've never tried again. Yeah. So, uh, if I wanted to drive, I had to drive this stick and I literally, I drove with my mom twice and then she was like, all right, go ahead, drive on your own. That car stalled out on me like 17 times in the middle of the intersection. And I would just panic. <laughs> I would panic and be like, ah, and then go. And then like, I blew the clutch. I did a bunch of crazy <laughs> stuff in it. But once I figured out how to drive it, I became like a real, a real like romantic in there. Because then I could, I didn't have to like shift as hard. It was more smooth. You know, women were like, oh, you know how to drive. Like, yeah, 21 questions is on. It is impressive. Like, I think, you know, when you're like a 16-year-old girl, like a guy can drive, you know, a stick shift car. And it's like, I don't know. That was impressive to me. But I guess I was easily impressed at that time in my life. (laughs) No, 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 no. That that was was definitely, I tell people all the time, that's probably one of the biggest accomplishments of my life is learning to drive a stick. Not making the NFL, not being a pro ball. No, just driving stick. That was it. Listen, not many people can drive sticks. Not many people can drive sticks. And then on top of that... I think it's less who have been in the NFL, though, if we're being... If we're talking numbers. (laughs) I'm just telling you, at 16 years old, by yourself, and that car stalls out at the intersection, and then people are honking at you. That's true. That's pretty intense. That's true. It's pretty intense. That's true. Well, I will never have the experience of being in the NFL and... uh, but we might share some common ground with driving stick. I still haven't, I haven't gone back to try it yet. I don't really know anybody that has a stick shift car though. So I'll have to call up. Yeah, they're, all, they're all paddle shifts now. Oh, yeah. 
That's probably no, true. It's not the same. <laughs> well, you mentioned your your youth and not always drinking wine. And since we're talking about our youth, what were the things that you're drinking before wine? Oh, um, you know, my my first so a funny story. I've told this story before. Um, my first year, I, I was I am I am sometimes I'm naive, but when I was young, I was really naive because I would watch movies and I would think like, hey, that's how it is. So I was 18 years old. Um and we were going to a party and I was carrying like a case of beer. And so to me, I thought that even though the, the legal age was 21 to drink, that because I was in college, I could drink, right? Because in all the college movies, everyone drank, right? That's just what it was. No one told me that it was illegal to drink. That's right. Um, so I was, I was, uh, except for the United States government, but that's fine. Well, except for the police <laughs> at this point. Um, I remember like it was yesterday. I was walking down, uh, Midvale at UCLA with, uh, like a 24 pack of Natty Light because we were in college. Oh, exactly. Just that. Uh, mind you, <laughs> I've only drinking beer twice because of that, um, in my life. Ever? Twice? Twice ever. Never, would never drink again. Um, I've just had horrible experiences. So this story, um, I'm driving or I'm walking and the police pull up and then my buddies who are with me run off. And so I'm like, what are you guys running for? We're good. Like we're in college. Oh, man. Uh, needless to say that I, I found out the hard way that you don't, um, you don't need to, you don't get to drink while you're in college. So that was, that was a, that was a, a, a bad call to my coach at the time that I was going to get arrested for, you know, carrying um, minor in possession. Did you tell the police officers that you're like, no, I'm in college. It's fine. No question. I said that. Yeah. I was like, what are you? What are, I was like, what's the problem? I'm in college. And they were like, first one, this is a dry campus. Two, you aren't 21. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I think that's why they kind of were easy on me. Because I was like, are you kidding me? In the movies, it says like. But Jim Belushi was doing it like a lot. And I don't think he was. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it was it was just it was that was that was a that was like the one time and the second time. Um, I went out and hung out and we were drinking at Eli's playing this game called Kings. Oh yeah. And, um, we had practice at six o'clock the next morning. And, uh, I didn't, again, naive. Cause I also, oh, just so you know, I didn't, I never did any type of alcohol or drugs or anything as a kid until I turned, until I went to college. Mm-hmm. I just was like football, football, football. So, uh, drinking wise, it was my first time drinking. It was like my first and second time drinking. So, I didn't know that you could smell it the next day. Like I didn't know that. So I go to practice to work out. And the coach is like, man, someone had a long night. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so that practice or that workout was extra hard. Um, and then at the end, he was like, all right, I want Maurice to come up here and do this last run. If he does it in this time, everyone gets to go home. Otherwise, we have six more. Ugh. So at this point, like I could feel it coming up, you know. Um, so I do this run. It was like, I had to run like 60 yards and back. And I think in like 12 seconds or something crazy. And so I do it. And as I'm getting there, he's like 10, 11. And I get, and I pass out and I just slide across the finish line. And (laughs) when I came to, I said, you know what? That is the last time that I will ever, ever drink beer. So, and And so then, yeah, that was the beer story. So then I just did like Long Island iced teas and, normal stuff when i was 21 yes we wouldn't we would never uh it's not a gotcha podcast kids when you go to college it's not okay to drink until you're 20 <laughs> i'll put it that way you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> has your has your drinking changed a little bit since you've been out of the nfl i mean you mentioned your 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 diet's changed but have you changed what you've been drinking um i, I felt like when i was in the nfl i was training so much that my body was able to metabolize the alcohol and like get it out pretty quickly Mm-hmm. Um, because I haven't trained it at that capacity or in that, like that intense, um, it became more of a, um, like, I just, I don't drink as heavy as I used to, mm. if that makes, like, I don't, I may have one or two drinks and kind of be done. And if I do drink heavy, I'm down for like three days now. It's just kind of how it goes when you're getting mm-hmm. your mid thirties. So I've tried to be like more conscious, I guess, like, not as much sugar. Like I do Tito's if I do vodka. If I'm doing tequila, it's straight. Um, try to stay away from the dark liquors. It's, it's not my my cup of tea, I guess. Um, but normally I just try to drink 
uh, and I'm no shameless plug here, but I'm a big LaCroix fan. So I'll do Tito's and LaCroix and like that gets me going. What's your LaCroix flavor of choice? Mm, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Now that's a question. <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, about wine. <laughs> yeah, that's a, um, I, I've been, I really love the passion fruit right now. I'm into passion fruit. Yeah, it's, Have you done the pomplemousse? I have. I, a lot of people love that. I love the pomplemousse. That's my fave. Yeah. Really? That's, yes. that's good stuff right there. Yeah. I, I'm a raspberry. I like raspberry. Oh, I can't do the the raspberry like beer for you. Bacardi Raz was the first thing I had as a as a something of not of legal age when I was drinking alcohol, and I cannot do anything raspberry flavored any longer. Really. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it, it it'll, brings me right like just like I swear it brings me right back. It brings you right back. <laughs> I, I get I I get it. I'm I'm right there with you. That's why I feel like, you know, for me it's really simple. Like I'll go places and people are like, oh, yeah, I'll take a corona. I'll be like, you know what? Either give me a water or I'm going like Tito's and and Sprite or something. All right. They're like, man, you're you're tough. Like, no. If I do beer, it just brings me back to those those couple of times that I had it. Not I'm okay. Wine or water or clear spirits. That's what, that's the way you go. That's right. So you, you mentioned you have kids. Um, will you be, and you're cellaring a little bit, you're kind of in the midst of building a cellar. Are you starting to like collect things for them? Or is that something that's on your agenda eventually? Uh, oh, no, I have babies. I have like a 12, 10 and nine year old. So they, they're wild. They're a ways away, but they're actually really, they're, they're, they're big into athletics. Mm. So try not to drink around them as much, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. I know once my oldest one turns of age, I'll sit down and kind of explain to him the wine experience and how to do it. And I think he's uh, very mature for his age. Mm-hmm. Um, my youngest one is probably going to be like my tequila side. He's more like <laughs> out there and he wants to like have a good time. So, hey, you know, and then my daughter, I, I, she's like really strict about her diet because she does uh, she does competitive cheer. So she wants to be a flyer. So at 10 years old, she's like really strict. Like, I'm not eating this and I'm only eating that and I'm doing this. And I'm like, all right, like do your thing, you know? So she, uh, she, who's, she's the best athlete in the family, by the way. But um, yeah, they're, you know, I, I try to sh- like show them some things, but I think I wait till they're 21 to be like, all right, look, we'll me come, come with your old man. We'll take you out. We'll, we'll introduce you to this world that you're about to go into. Yeah. My parents didn't really drink around me at all. I didn't have any, any experience with wine really until I lived in New York and was living on my own. And, you know, I think like you, wine made me feel like an adult. It was the first time in my life where I was just like, felt like a sense of sophistication and that, you know, first taste of adulthood, um, which is maybe why I associate it so much with the, you know, the, the latter part of my life. And I have no, you know, some people have early memories of wine when they were kids, like my grandma drank wine. Like, I don't have any of those. Can I, can I tell you the first time I ever had wine? Yeah. Yeah, please. I didn't even know this was like alcohol. Um, I was, uh, I was, I got, I went from public school to private school. We had communion. (laughs) So like I go up there and I'm like, you know, especially now with like the whole COVID thing, like everyone sips from the glass and he wipes it off, like very unsanitary, but neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, But I drank it. I was like, oh, and I like spit some of it out. And I was like, what is that? And they're like, that's wine. Like, shh, be quiet. And I'm like, bro, that, that burn going down, like, that's not, that wasn't like a, a fun taste. And I think that's what kind of <laughs> had me nervous about wine for a while. I don't even know what kind of wine that was. Not the good kind. Unless you're in Napa Valley and Chris Phelps is making the sacramental wine, which is a real thing for anyone listening okay. that's ever wanted really good wine at a church. Napa Valley is the place to do it. Chris Phelps me Dominus and has his own label called Advivum actually does make the sacramental wine for the local church. Uh, oh, okay. Because whatever that was, that wasn't it. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that, that was generally that almost, not good. <laughs> that was, it almost had me like beer at one point. It almost had me like, ah, I don't know. I might, I think I was like 10. And I was like, ah, I don't know about this drinking thing. I don't know if I want to do that. So. <laughs> no, I never thought of that. I wonder how many people like get turned off. Mm-hmm by wine because of that, you know, because of like the really crappy sacramental wine. I, I, I don't even know what it was. It burned. It wasn't good. Well, what's going on with you now? You're, you're down in, uh, in LA at the moment. And well, well, so yeah. So right now, um, I actually work for NFL network, um, coverage and content 
And then I also call games on radio for the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm uh, their color commentator. So back up, I'm normally here in L.A., you know, 60, 70 percent of the time. So it's, it's just been it's one of those things where you just, you know, you've got to get yourself some some wine glasses and a wine fridge and the whole wine setup down there, huh? I'll take a picture and I'll send it to you for sure. But like right now, we're just in the midst of like, this is all the stuff that I had in my old apartment. And I just moved to a townhome closer to the airport. So I don't have to drive so far away. Um, but I'm also about to do some interior designing in this thing. So we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. Are you are you opening a bottle a night? Are you, what's your, are you like a Coravin guy or like what's your... Uh, well, right now I'm, I'm, I actually, I've been working out and I lost 30 pounds. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to lose like oh, good for you. <laughs> 15 to 20 more. The, the pandemic was tough. I'm not going to lie. It was, it, was, it was definitely tough. Um, so I'm trying to lose more. And, uh, so only on occasion right now with the wine, um, I think once I get to my goal weight or my target weight, I'll do a little bit, I'll partake a little bit more. So it'll be easier to maintain. But right now, because I'm trying to drop so much. You know, I, I drink, I'll drink with you all, which is a very special occasion. We appreciate that. Um, and I drank on Friday and then nice. that was probably about it for the, in the last like month or so, month or two. So it's been good. Do you have, have you ever used a Coravin? I feel like that would be like a really good thing for you in this time in your life. What is that? The reason I bring it up is like, if I, I'm generally drinking alone, I'm with my family right now and they're drinking, but when I'm back in Napa, um, especially during quarantine, I found myself like, you know, I'd have all of this wine and I don't want to pull corks and everything. So it's this contraption that like actually goes, uh, there's a needle that goes in the top of the cork and it goes into the bottle and then you can, yes, instead of pulling the full cork out, it actually, the needle goes in and then you can, you never have to open the actual bottle. You can pull out like a glass at a time. Wow. And then the, the wine is preserved and like, you know, we've, I've held bottles for months at a time without them going bad, which is really fun. So I feel like that's something that would be helpful for you. I feel like I'm in the stone age right now. You said something cork in here. Like, that's an oldie. It's a cla- It's what we call a classic. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's vintage. Vintage. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of like what they used on Downton Abbey, right? Oh my goodness. I feel, <laughs> I feel horrible. What am I doing? What am I doing here? <laughs> it gets the job done. My my, so. my refrigerator is going to be full of wine as of now, so no problem. <laughs> well, I've had so much fun drinking and sharing uh, sharing some stories and some tips on fantasy football with you. I hope you've had fun too. I, I, I've enjoyed this very much, you know, to be able to sit in midday and drink wine with two lovely women and talk sports and some of my horror stories with different liquors and things like that. It's, just, <laughs> it's been amazing. Oh, and well, luckily for you, Wine Access does not sell beer, so you're in, you're in good. Well, shape. and I was going to tell you, you, got you covered. The Maurice Christopher came out um, on that 18 when I was when I was walking with the beer. That was a Maurice Christopher time. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a Maurice Christopher blank 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 blank, and then my coach was like egging her on as it went on. So yeah, kind of how it goes. I think like it's a rite of passage to not have those stories. So all right. We got to do what we got to do. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You have me all all twisted now because... Is that the winner? Is that the winner today, the Merceau? No, this is the winner today. It's a good looking bottle. Excuse me, I'm a little torn now because I like sparkling white wine. I didn't think I would like, but I actually enjoyed it. I, I just kept drinking. Oh, okay. Over and over. I love it. The Shramsburg. Okay, okay. That's very tasty. And how did you like it out of your regular glass and not a champagne flute? I actually love it. Sets the mood. It kind of gives it a little extra like body and texture when you put it in a wider glass. It allows it to like see. I don't. Up a little I, I know. I, I know nothing about that. I'm just just to be honest with you. Just I just felt like you know, kind of like you have a cigar, you have your little cognac. Yeah. I don't need that. I have my sparkling white wine and you guys, and we're good to go. I respect you so much. Thank you. I feel like we're all winning today. <laughs> you know, we are winning today. It's all that matters. <laughs> Drinking Merceau and Stramsburg. I mean, you guys, you, you guys have the job. That everyone wants. Trust me. I think probably you have a job that a lot of people want too, but thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out there and, and hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. 
What a breath of fresh air. He is so fun and so sweet. And I hope that I get to meet him in person someday. I think sweet is the exact right word for him. You can just tell his disposition is all genuine too. Yeah. And we drank some genuinely delicious wines as well. And I think that he really enjoyed them. Well, and this was, it was a a different um, selection than normal because we often have two reds or maybe we'll have a white and a red. But today we had a sparkling and a white, which is I think the first time that we've that we've had those particular types of wines together. I think you're right. And I think that's a crying shame. So we should do our best to not uh, to not have that be the case so often. But yes, we drank the Schomsberg because he was trying to get into sparkling wine and wanted something that was a little bit less dry. And I think that sort of gives us a nice gentle balance between, you know, Schomsberg's still a dry, a dry sparkling. It doesn't have residual sugar in the way that we think of it being sweet. Um, but I think it really served its purpose in that it doesn't feel so puckery and so tart. It has a little sweetness and ripeness. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think it's just, it, 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 the dosage just puts it in balance. So it doesn't taste sweet, but for someone who doesn't want to, you know, a, a Brut Natur style, um, it, it can bridge the gap. So for sure. And then of course, Merceau, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking my language. A wine that I, I sort of discovered probably too early on in my career because it quickly became my favorite, but was also a really great way always when I worked with just European wine lists for people to segue from California Chardonnay into something that was, um, you know, something from Burgundy. So I think we succeeded in both of our endeavors with the wines. And I, as always, am excited to have consumed them with you and they were delicious. Likewise. Yes. And they will not go down the drain. I will tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I always wonder if people are are concerned about where these wines end up. I promise you they go to good homes if they're not our own. So uh, no, definitely, (laughs) definitely not dumping any wine today. Um, Hopefully not tomorrow either. And uh, if, if someone wanted to drink their wines and not dump them down the drain, they could find them at wineaccess.com. And of course, you can follow Wine Access on Instagram at Wine Access or on Facebook at the Wine Access Experience. And if someone should want to follow this podcast, Amanda, where should one go? Well, we are so millennial friendly and otherwise friendly as well. You can find us at Wine Access Unfiltered on Instagram and at Wine Access Pod on Twitter. And we have so much fun there. You can see our faces and see some videos. It's a good time. You'll see some wine as well. I've been putting up some other like really um, great content in the... Well, I say great. That's kind of subjective, right? Um, <laughs> great content in the way of recommendations because we've talked about so many great things on this podcast in the way of restaurants and and movies and foods and things like that. So we always do every week a little wrap up some of those recommendations. So it's just a way to keep everybody together and informed and have a little more fun with this podcast than we already are. Well, and Amanda, you always have the best restaurant recommendations. So <laughs> you're like your own Michelin guide, your own one person walking Michelin guide. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to like moving out of this phase of not being able to eat at restaurants so I can expand that guide and looking forward to hopefully sitting down and dining with you. But I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and drink some last drops. And I won't keep you from that delicious Schomsberg and Marceau. I can see you salivating over there. Don't think I can't see that. busted well this has been awesome as always thank you and um cheers cheers